0: Hey, you're listening to episode one of the new Sultans of Sing podcast, brought to you by the Watchtower Media Network. For pop culture with a view, head to WTCHTWR.com, that's Watchtower without the vowels. We've got some great pieces there, including a guest article on the start of the Joe Biden era, plus we've got 53 reads, our new book review series fronted by the wonderful Sophie Emmett, so go check it out. For that and plenty more, head to Watchtower.com without the vowels and follow us at Watchtower underscore media. Coming up, 15 years of maybe the greatest debut album of all time. The Arctic Monkeys, whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not, up next. Don't believe the hype. Boys from the Steel City, the Arctic Monkeys.
1: Arctic Monkeys
0: Arctic Monkeys It's the Arctic Monkeys or they make you look good on the dance floor Get on your dancing shoes and There's one thing on your mind The Arctic Monkeys' debut album, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not, was released 15 years ago today to overwhelming critical acclaim. It won Album of the Year in Q, NME and Time magazine. It won the Mercury Prize and the Brit Award for Album of the Year, most notably beating Amy Winehouse's Back to Black. Rolling Stone and NME both named it in the 500 Greatest Albums of All Time, and in 2009 it was named the 9th Greatest Album ever in an MTV online poll.
1: What a scummy man. Just give him half a chance, I bet will rob you if he can And see in his eyes, yeah, that he's got a nasty planner Oh,
0: you're not involved at all I'm joined by Gloria is this the most important british album of the century
1: uh in my humble opinion yes and i think a lot of people share my my views on this album particularly it's probably one of the quintessential albums that it has shaped gen z as a whole like if you take gen z from 96 until 2000 like people born from 96 to 2005 i think that this album particularly for them has been life-changing and revealing in all kinds of ways and just like gateway to indie music in general
0: it's quite a formative album in that if you look at the evolution of british music over the last maybe 40 years if you start from joy division you then transition towards new order and the smiths which is that really kind of the original shoegaze then you get the stone roses then you obviously you get the brick pop era that lasts about <laughs> eight ten years Then that becomes Coldplay, which is kind of a reaction to Britpop. And then obviously we get Whatever People Say I Am by the Octave Monkeys. To me, it's that kind of, Next logical step in the timeline of British music. But what I think is really interesting as we talk about it on the 15th anniversary is that it hasn't aged. I listened to it before we came on, and it sounds both as a product of its time, but also like it could have been released yesterday and you'd react to it exactly the same.
1: Exactly. I completely agree. And I just think it's also far from it being timeless, it's also so relatable for so many people especially young people but not just i feel like we started listening to this as teenagers as 13 like 14 year olds there's people who start listening to this when they're in like under 20s at that time we're on our 20s now and it's it's still relevant it's still fresh it's still relatable the lyrics are relatable even for people that are not British per se, uh, as talking as someone from Argentina, it just captures that youth that's like always relevant in music. I think think
0: that's one of the things that people really gravitate towards this album for. It's ostensibly about being in your early 20s and maybe even before that. I mean, if you go through some of the key tracks on this album alone, uh, mardi Balm, Dancing Shoes, Fake Tales of San Francisco, which I think is really underrated. Uh, When the Sun goes down, A Certain Romance, and of course, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. It feels like those songs haven't aged a day.
1: Yeah. They could have been released like yesterday, you know? They really still feel relevant and you can listen to them as many time so you don't get tired of them like they feel fresh for some reason I don't know what they these people do but they're it's just good it's just good timeless music and that's also I think that bores to the fact that I think it's one of the most influential albums of the century because it's just good music you know (laughs)
0: let's talk about that too because I think some of the impact is born out of when it came out so obviously it comes out in 2006 Britpop is by all means, you know, finished. For as strong as it was, it kind of died a quick death at that point. So then after Britpop dies out, you have the emergence of bands like Coldplay. Uh, I love Coldplay, I'll be honest about it. But that's a completely different vibe to what Britpop was all about. And as people kind of react to Coldplay, you get the emergence of people like the Arctic Monkeys. So you get bands like The Libertines, like Block Party, like Muse, where it's kind of, it's lad music. But mm-hmm. the Arctic Monkeys isn't really lad music. It's got guitars and it's about you know girls and it's about drinking. But it's not it's not in the same way that the Libertines are.
1: I I completely agree. Like there's a there's an inherent difference between Arctic Monkeys and the Libertines. I feel like the Arctic Monkeys, especially it might have been my experience of how I got introduced to them, but I think they really appeal to. can in one way they really appeal like i think in britain it was a different story than it was in like the rest of the world particularly but i think that with all this tumblr culture and all this i feel like there was something of like a third wave of british music like a third british invasion if that makes sense uh and i think the arctic monkeys really capitalized on that because i heard the libertines after i heard the arctic monkeys You know, I've heard of them and I like listened to them after I was introduced by them. I feel like they make a really good for expert product as a reaction of what was going on before, but I just think that they appeal to these people that grew up in the late 90s were nostalgic of that because we didn't grow up in the same era of that. And they captured that and like sent this like Britishness for export, if that makes sense. (laughs) I don't know if... No,
0: I agree. I think it's <laughs> the highest kind of compliment you can give is because people love Britpop. And the people who are still fans of Britpop even, you know, nearly 30 years now, since it was an entire thing in this country, people have always been nostalgic for that. What's interesting about whatever people say I am is that it comes out 12 years later and it feels like a kind of modern or at least at the time a modern twist on what those ideas were again doesn't necessarily have to be the kind of culture that Oasis and Blur and Pulp were creating because then you also get bands like the Kaiser Chiefs and Kasabian who are really successful in their own right but they were nowhere near the kind of impact that the Arctic Monkeys had
1: completely completely agree it's they just went the next level um in every kind of way like they I think that they are the band that's the indie gateway for our youth now they they were our indie music gateway like personally they were what introduced me to indie music or rock or whatever like things that were not being listened to in the radio station you know they were like that different thing and I think that that's also what blur and oasis did in the sense of like they were super popular at the time and arctic monkeys are popular in, the, in their way but they have like that extra like x factor that difference that it's like they it makes them super popular but still for some reason it makes you feel outside of the mainstream when you listen to them even though you are you know it's still
0: <laughs> cool like yeah I, th- I was thinking about this the idea that a lot of the bands from the mid-naughties They haven't really aged well. They haven't really carried over into, you know, 2021 as it is now. Like you think of the Libertines and you think of Flock Party, people still really like Muse, but you don't get the same reaction when it's like, Franz Ferdinand has a new album. You're like, really? They still make music? Whereas, you know, we're hearing new reports of the Octave Monkeys have just recorded a new album. You're like, oh, wow, I can't wait for the new album. Even if you don't necessarily like it as much, because one of the things we can get to is their own music has evolved from what it was in the beginning. It's completely different to what it is now.
1: Exactly. I just think you have a really good package of reaction of what it was already there. A good product for export in that it's relatable and it's good, but it's also complex enough that you it makes you feel cool when you listen to it. Like Al- Alex Turner's lyrics are of like... I haven't seen anything like that. This is my fangirl speaking, fangirl Gloria speaking, but it's poetry in a rock form, in a way that makes you feel cool and look cool in a way that it's also good for expert and to just send to the world. And even though it changes its shape on each album, even though I think that this album particularly is the most purest Arctic Monkeys like core. Even though it changes forms throughout the years and throughout their releases, it, there's something they have that X factor.
0: <laughs> I get what you mean because to go back to your point about the kind of the Tumblrification of this. <laughs> yeah. It- it's, so, it's one of those albums where the lyricism is so speaks to such a certain mood that as Tumblr became its own kind of thing, and you could share quotes in the same way we share memes nowadays, this is like the exact kind of album where it's cool. Yeah, the phrases they use are really cool. Things like, don't believe the hype, which we'll talk about in a minute. That's really cool, but you can also send it as a little picture, a meme before memes were ever a thing.
1: The whole aesthetic picture with whatever going back to tumblr right tumblr's golden era of just an aesthetic picture of roses with some filter and the lyrics on it and that's that's what captured a chunk like a great chunk of arctic monkeys fan like fan i know there's also really diehard fans and I'm, i haven't experienced it as someone in britain going through that at the time but i think internationally that's what captured a lot of people uh, a lot of us you
0: know it crosses over really well I'm thinking as you say that of the idea of Britpop is really focused towards dudes being dudes (laughs) you know you drink really heavily and you like swagger around like Liam Gallagher does this has the same this album has the same vibe but the lyricism is such that like you say if you're a girl you can like you say pull out a quote and attach it to a picture or something like that. But that doesn't make it uncool for men to like it as well. It says so much crossover appeal.
1: There's so much crossover appeal. Like there are as many Arctic Monkeys fans that are men and as there are women. It's it's really dimensional in a way that it works and in a way that it makes it the album. Like back back again to like the influence of this. I think it's just, I don't, I can't think of an example of a piece that's so like unisex, universal, like older people like it, younger people like it, especially with the lyrics, like how would they translate? This was fangirl me. I can remember a little, (laughs) some data that I, that I looked up somewhere like a long time ago, but Alex Turner's mom was, or is a teacher, an English teacher. And I think his dad was a musician. Whatever I read, talked about like how Alex Turner combines this like love for English and play on words, literature and all these like little facts of British life for Britishness along with musicality and music peel, you know, and melodies and sound. And it works <laughs> again. No, yeah. Just-
0: like Alex Turner's lyricism, really, it's much more obvious in the more modern albums. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, you go from humbug, especially to now yes. where he can, you know, sit at a piano and do his whole, you know, hotel lobby crooner <laughs> stuff, like shit. But at the time where it's backed by, you know, rock guitars and bass and really like frantic drums, it's almost kind of shocking in a way that you have that balance of, yeah, here's a heavy guitar song that's like dance floor, for example. It, it is a yes. guitar song that's going to be played about 150 beats per minute. But then you look at the lyrics and you're like, Wow, there's actual like poetry here
1: exactly and the, all the all the little metaphors he uses to describe things one of my favorite songs of this album is riot van i just think it's a masterpiece i might be wrong you might not agree with me but i that song is one of the best arctic monkey songs ever and it just describes so- like he could be describing the most mundane thing you not only like feel like you're listening to it and witnessing, you feel like you are there and you feel the emotion of what that particular scene would like what make you feel in a way that's fresh because it's easy to just use general disc- like embellishing words you know embellishing lyrics and make them sound fancy and refined which in rock music is revolution like it's not it's not cool to have very like uh, like beautiful embellished lyrics, but it's also very original, very different.
0: There's nuance. And as well, it's mm-hmm. a level of nuance you don't expect in a debut album. <laughs> exactly. Because, yeah. To go back to some of the awards that it won, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it wins five different magazines album of the year. Like you can say what you want about the value of awards. But to win five different ones, including Time Magazine, I didn't even know they gave out Album of the Year. The Brit Award for Best Album in 2007. Again, you say what you want about the value of awards and if they mean anything or not. But I've always thought that the Brit Awards were always the, the barometer for what was really popular in this country. And this beats Back to Black.
1: Exactly, exactly. And especially in this genre, in the 2000s, which wasn't an is easy task, you know? It's not... They were not the mainstream... Like, the music that they make is not particularly what you would think of, of 2000 music, like pop 2000 music. But they still won all those awards like that has some merit i gotta say
0: <laughs> yeah i think as well the idea that they also win best group it speaks to the value of a lot of their songs and how much people really gravitated towards it even for this unknown band from sheffield who the video they're like music videos are in lo-fi and you can't see anything <laughs> part of it as well part of their appeal that comes out of this album is they're the original garage band where it's some guys with uh, guitars and bass and drums <laughs> and they just jam together and for that to have this kind of mainstream appeal is unbelievable and especially as you say in a decade where lots of really standard pop music you know people think James Blunt was rock and roll at the time <laughs> and like not to hate on James Blunt but you know it wins things like the Mercury Prize which for people who don't know is really like the gold standard of album awards in this country if you win the Mercury Prize, you've really accomplished something and for this to have won that is astonishing.
1: Exactly. And like you said it's some dudes in Sheffield with guitars, you know. <laughs> that's that's how Which it's Which really stunning.
0: undersells it, but it is.
1: But it is. It is and I think that's what's special about it. That's what's different and that's what like makes all of us smile when we think about it. Normal British lads making music. That's a little for the lads, but also it has the touch of refinement and nuance and timelessness that makes it what it is. And everyone loved it. Like, I would would have given anything to be there, <laughs> to, to have lived here when this was coming out, because it would have been crazy.
0: The global appeal is something else. People all around the world have gravitated towards it, particularly in America. It's difficult anyway for bands to come anywhere near what beatlemania was and how well the rolling stones have done and you know perhaps maybe the who but this to have been so successful in america you kind of wonder how nobody else has been able to copy it
1: yeah i think a lot of it especially its appeal in america has this way like this third british invasion that i like to believe happened like you said like in the 60s we had beatles some rolling stones a little later on then a little who and then we had like the 90s Brit Pop, Cool Britannia export, like the Spice Girls, you know, that people in America were like, oh, cool, we like this. We like the British people. <laughs> uh and I think this is my hot take of the day. I think that something similar to this happened in like the early 20, 2000, 2010s. Uh, this is my hot take. I it's very it's such a hot take. I'm sorry if I piss some people off. Um, Do you remember like the One Direction crazy, the One Direction mania, all the directioners, like people going crazy for One Direction. I was one of them. That era where like memes started started to be a thing, where internet started flourishing. I think that people all over the world were really intrigued by British culture just because of these like boy bands that we were seeing and learning about and seeing the expert factor of simon cowell saying things uh, just the one direction infection in the world this is more of like the later impact for the arctic monkeys and their popularity but i think that that's where they got a lot of fans from just because people at that time were suddenly like very interested by british culture like my sister we live in argentina my sister had like a British flag and she loved the little British mugs. And I, for my quinceañera birthday, I just like, I decided to not do a party and I did a trip to London because I wanted to see London because I was intrigued by British culture. Like I wanted, like, I just wanted to be part of it. And I think that's what the Arctic monkeys, that era is what the Arctic monkeys capitalized on later on. You know, I don't think they were creating their music for that but I think that's something that helped them not particularly this album but in general of how much America and the world loves them it's part of it it could be half of it maybe.
0: I've always thought that British music has been maybe our greatest export certainly culturally in terms of we produce really good music in this country and I think what has helped them is not pretending that they're not British their accents are really really strong yes it's hard it's almost hard to understand them at times and <laughs> i think people kind of gravitate towards that where it's like it's almost like Quadrophenia's comeback but in the 2000s
1: exactly exactly and people love british culture i feel like it's something that intrigues everyone it's fascinating i remember me being 13 and being absolutely fascinated by britishness and the union jack flag and just like how people like British people and all the stereotypes you know that you have about Britain it's just I don't think I had that fascination with anything ever and it was not just me it was like all my group of friends my cousins that lived in other towns it was overwhelming it's crazy looking back to it
0: now (laughs) it came out when I well how old would I have been nine years old but mm-hmm. then you come back around to it when you're, you know, in your mid-teenage years. I think I was about 16 when I really locked into it because I think AM was coming out around the same time. Mm-hmm. Again, it still feels timeless, and it still feels like something you can go back to at that later age. I've got a story about Mardi Bum. I think the first time I heard it and really clued into it and not, you know, passing through radio stations or whatever, was I did GCSE music and there was a guy in my class, you know, when we're doing performances, I think the first one he did was Marty Bum. And you kind of, you know, when you're that age, you kind of crank up the accents, dial it up, really go for it and that sort of thing. But it speaks to an attitude that never leaves you as a teenager, where it's like, you have the whole world at your feet, but all you want to do is hang out with your mates and, you know, drink cans in the side of the road.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And I I think they like this album particularly also speaks to that teenage angst, teenage rebellion. I remember just listening, my earliest memories of this album is just like listening to dancing shoes before getting ready before going to like these little parties that you go when you're like 13, like get togethers that you think they're parties, but they aren't. Uh, And I remember remember, like I bought my first deep purple lipstick that I was going to wear. And it was gonna be a statement because I was gonna be dressed all in black. And then I was gonna wear this like purple lipstick. And I was listening to Dancing Shoes. And I was like, wow, I feel powerful. I feel like I'm a I'm a bad girl. Even though I was just like, <laughs> I was 13. <laughs> I, just, um, I just think that they evoke that feeling on people. it's just, what is to be young? What is to be like, do mischief with your friends. Be mischievous. Hang out with the lads, with with the girls, go on nighttime adventures, be mischievous in every sense of that word, you know. And I think that translates. That translates, especially to us in our twenties. Uh, I still listen to it, and I'm like, oh, get on your dancing shoe, sort of like, oh yes. <laughs> still feel that feeling, you know.
0: There's definitely a sense of attitude that kind of courses through <laughs> the songs. Again, if we go back through them. Like, for example, Fake Tales of San Francisco. I hadn't heard that for years until I think it was about the middle of last summer. And it came back in my rotation. It just kind of popped up. And that's a really good song. It's so underrated. They never play it live. People know the title, but they don't really know what it sounds like. The ones that stick out from the album mostly are, you know, Mardi Bum, When the Sun Goes Down, and I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor, which I kind of wanted to touch on as well. I've thought this (laughs) for maybe the last eight years. I think that's one of the most important songs in the history of this country undeniably one of the most iconic because they play it at you know the opening ceremony of the 2012 olympics goes on to glastonbury where it's one of the most popular clips on the bbc's youtube channel the iconic you know don't believe the hype of the video the fact that it's in lo-fi so it's kind of weird and you have to understand what they're going for it's arrogant like oasis is but it's also again just some lads in t-shirts playing their song because there's a lot of influences from. Exactly. I was thinking about this last night. I think you can hear some of the kinks. Obviously, you can hear some of the strokes. Very obviously, it reminds me a lot of um, Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones, <laughs> where it's really fast paced yes. and it races through it. But there's always like purpose with the song. And you know when it kicks into that kind of last chorus and when the bass builds up, you're like, here we go. And every time you hear it, you're like, oh man, there was only three minutes. I could listen to it maybe eight more times in a row.
1: It feels short. It feels really short. You want more, you know? And like you said, it's that sense of British arrogance with not real arrogance. It's just, you know, it's the whole act. But with also that mixture of just some lads playing guitar, this DIY-ness of it. I remember the Olympics. Just, oh my God. Like I just, I just remember that they played that there. That's the crazy (laughs) That's the thing as well.
0: Again, it speaks to the timeless nature of it. Like you say, it's only a 40-minute album, and there's still 12 songs in it. They kind of drop off a bit. You know, next comes Favorite Worst Nightmare, which is still a really good album, and it's probably got better singles on it, but there's, you know, much less cultural impact, which is kind of Mm -hmm. difficult to replicate after a debut, of course. Favorite Worst Nightmare does still win back-to-back Brit album of the years, but there's much less cultural impact Whereas,
1: I, I agree.
0: yeah, whereas whatever people say um, wins all the awards as in all the lists. I'm not sure that it's my favorite Monkeys album. I think that has to be AM, but you can't really complain too much about people saying that this is their favorite Mo- Monkeys album.
1: I agree. I think that as a collective project, I love a favorite worst nightmare. I really, I, I really like it, but because I really like the singles, like you said, I think this one is a better collect- collective project. Like, I think, I feel like in, if you see every song in this album, I think that even though there's some underrated ones, a lot of them are really iconic Arctic Monkey songs. Like, quintessential, you gotta listen to this if you start getting into the Arctic Monkey songs. Like, Marty Bomb is probably one of, like, on the top five most known Arctic Monkey songs. And a lot of Arctic Monkey songs are really, like, well-known, like. I I can think of Flora as an adolescent. Well, Marty Bum, mm, do I want to know? Why you always call me when you're high? Like there's there's like a couple, but I think Marty Bum is up there. Same with I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. Same with like, there's a lot of songs that are up there from this album.
0: Looking at the key tracks that I've got on my notes, there's six from an album that came out 15 years ago that could easily still (laughs) all be played now out of an album of 12 is crazy, almost, when you think of how much the band has changed in the last 15 years.
1: Exactly. This is their most, like, their purest sound. This is what they are. And I think that in each project, that this, each project after this one, they try out different things with the sound as a bass. But I think this is the, the connecting thread of everything. I could listen to this, and I could listen to A.M., and even though they're very different albums, I could I could find a resemblance. And I feel like all their songs all and all their albums go back to this or they have an element of this because this is who they are. This is their base home.
0: Yeah. And people remember how much they like dance floor. And it really transmit when you see them live. Everyone's waiting for dance floor everyone's waiting for Marty Bum. If they happen to play it, everyone's waiting for Dancing Shoes. And like you say, I think what has been really interesting to look at, the kind of the legacy of this album, is that those songs still fit in today. Dance Floor will never get old. Marty Bum won't ever get old. Those are the songs they'll still be playing in the next tour, in the tour after that, in the tour after that. And it's not because they're trying to, as a band, hark back to the the days of when they started. It's that those songs are still popular and are still good.
1: It's like the Mr. Brightside for the Killers. (laughs) It's those songs. Marty Bum for them. I, I really think, and I bet you look good on Dance Floor, that those are their songs. Even, they have a couple. I feel like they have more than the average band of like those iconic quintessential songs, but a lot of them come from this album. And I think that's what makes it, apart from everything else we discussed, that's what it makes that's what makes this album so important for British culture and music culture all over the world. It's important.
0: Some uh, some tidbits uh, while we talk about this album. It's the only uh, OctiMonkey's album with Andy Nicholson, who was the bassist before Nick O'Malley. He left virtually immediately after this album, which is a bit of a tough beat, you have to say. The cover's really memorable for one that's just a guy smoking, <laughs> who I always thought was Adam Sandler, but it's not. It's Chris McClaw, who is the front man of the Violet May. Very iconic album cover. Um, it
1: really is. I always thought it was, the, um, it was their drums player. I don't know why. Big fan of Matt Helders. So I think it, it, would have, it would have looked cool, but I love this cover too.
0: <laughs> people always wonder what the title actually means. Whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not is a line from a novel called Saturday Night, Sunday Morning, which was written in 1958 by a guy called Alan Silito, uh, which is about... A guy called Arthur Seaton, who is a man who worked at the local factory in the book, uh, and in the film where Seaton is played by Albert Finney, Seaton rails against people who claim to have got the measure of him, and he says, "I'm me and nobody else. Whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not because they don't know a bloody thing about me, and God knows what I am."
1: It just speaks to what we said: the cockiness, the freshness, the mischievousness. Can I curse? Is it allowed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? The the fuck you attitude towards others and towards life towards parents towards anyone who think who tries to boxes and put put us in a box basically that i feel like they embody as a band and their lyrics also talk about it it's the fuck you to whoever like whoever judges you and puts you in a box on something that you're not
0: on that note any final thoughts about this incredible album and- <laughs> Just kind of the the legacy it has.
1: Please listen to Riot (laughs) Van. I think it's one of the most underrated songs on this album. Also, if you want some further listening, there is a whole uh, fan-made album that's all songs from this album and other albums uh, that are acoustic versions of these songs there's some acoustic ride band in there there's some covers uh, and it's all fan made it's called straighten the rudder i might be mispronouncing that but it's good please download it i think it's on soundcloud or something highly recommend that's like one of my favorites and i thought it was a real album until i realized it wasn't because it wasn't on spotify <laughs> <laughs> it's fan made <laughs>
0: check out that's the kind of legacy it leaves gloria thank you for being here
1: thank you so much thank you for inviting me and thank you for letting me ramble about arctic monkeys for 40 minutes
0: (laughs) arctic monkeys whatever people say i am that's what i'm not it's 15 years old today